You know, I've, I've been reflecting on how the disciples felt after Jesus died. Now, you know, on Friday, about the ninth hour, darkness covered the land. And wherever the disciples were, you know they felt that darkness. They just scattered. They just scattered. Peter, who said he would go to the cross for him, denied him three times. Don't you know it was a long night, Friday night, as they thought about the fact for three years we followed him. For three years we loved him. We saw his great majesty and power. We never thought he would die. Never. We thought we were going to with him bring in the kingdom of God. And then Saturday came. All day Saturday. They'd been scattered, but they, they got back together in a room and locked the doors. And they were in that room on Saturday. They were afraid. Their world had crushed, crashed down on them. The hope that was living in them and their future with Jesus was gone. In a buried tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Man, can you imagine the despair, the discouragement, the hopelessness that these 11 men felt who had put their whole life and future in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ? Saturday night must have been one of the longest nights they had ever spent. You know, I got to thinking about that, how defeated and discouraged they were. They had heard, they said, well, see there, you thought he was the Messiah, he's dead. And I got to thinking about a song that I love so much that describes the condition of the disciples, what they were going through. And but it was Saturday. But guess what? Sunday was coming. And it was going to be morning before long. And so I want you to listen to this song. Because then came the morning. It takes about four minutes. But it talks about where the disciples were. And how that everything changed. The next morning when Jesus rose from the dead.
wedding the water the wine and now it was done they'd taken her son wasted before his time she knew it was true she watched him die too she heard them call him just a man oh but deep in her heart she knew from the start start singing that, I start walking faster. I love that song. Morning. Despair was gone. Discouragement was gone. Hopelessness was gone. Fear was gone because Jesus is alive. You know, uh, in Mark chapter 16, on that morning, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. So you know what she did? She went and told the disciples that, that he was alive. When told them. But you know, here's the thing. Jesus had tried to prepare them for his death. Did you know twice he told them 
that he was going to go to the cross. In Luke 18, I meant to mention that scripture earlier. In Luke 18, verses 31 through 33, uh, we, we notice that uh, Jesus told his disciples. I, I want to read that to you. Luke 18. All right, it's on the screen. He says, now he wanted them to know that what was going to happen. They heard him, but they didn't hear him. It says, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And he went on to say, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. I mean, it couldn't be any plainer. And they heard him, but they didn't hear him. Well, over in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, he tells them again. He tells them again what is going to happen. Look at the scripture on the screen. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. But listen, and be raised the third day. Of course, that was when Peter uh, kind of said, Peter took him aside. Scriptures on the screen said, begin to say, rebuke him, saying, Lord, far be it from you, far be it from you that you go to the cross. Lord, this shall not happen to you. Then you know what Jesus said to him? He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew he was supposed to go to the cross. He knew it. Peter saying, you can't do that. Jesus knew if he didn't, Peter would die in his sins. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're thinking humanly. You're thinking about the things of men. So he had warned them. He had told them. I mean, how much plainer could it be? They're going to kill me. But the third day, I'm going to rise again. Well, that glorious morning, he arose from the dead and he appeared to Mary Magdalene. And you'll notice in, in, uh, uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 10, that, that he went. All right, so Mary Magdalene, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. So look what she did. So she went and told those who had been with him while they mourned and wept. They were behind the doors. It, Sunday had come. It had come. Morning had come. The stone was rolled away. Jesus was alive. Mary Magdalene had clutched on to him. She goes and tells him, says, listen, I saw him. He told me to tell you he was alive. And when they heard that he was alive and had been, been seen by her, they did not believe. Have you ever noticed how you can hear things, but you don't really hear them? He told them, I'm going to rise. But somehow, in the midst of their hurt and their disillusionment and their confusion and their fear, they forgot it. You know what happens to us? We go through times just like them when we're disappointed, discouraged, don't understand, battle fear, and we just forget 
all the things that Jesus told us, that he'd never leave us nor forsake us, that he'd be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So we can relate to the disciples. In their hurt and confusion, they had forgotten what Jesus told them. You know, well, not only did Mary Magdalene go tell him that he was alive. You know, Jesus, after his resurrection, there were two disciples walking down the road to Emmaus. Jesus uh, walked up right beside them and said, what are you talking about? They said, haven't you heard about the cru crucifixion? Haven't you heard about it? Don't you know that they killed Jesus of Nazareth? They didn't recognize Jesus. Later on, they recognized him. Well, they went back. Now look, they went back to the disciples. And they said to them, listen, in verse, in, in, in chapter 16, verse 13, and they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. They still didn't believe. He had told them. Three people now had said, we've seen him. He's alive. But they were struggling with believing. You know, maybe you struggle with the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. I remember in seeing the movie, God is Not Dead, where the professor made this statement. He said, how can a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago do anything for me? I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is not a Jewish carpenter that lived just 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is a risen, living son of God. And he is alive. And he's present today. But disciples, they couldn't get it. They just couldn't get it. Well, finally, the Lord himself appeared to them. And in the 16th chapter of Mark, he appears to them. It says later on the screen, later he appeared to the 11. He went right in their midst. You remember in the other gospel, Thomas had said, unless I see him and to push my, the print of the nails in his hand, unless I thrust my hand into his side where that spear went, I'm not going to believe. But Jesus appeared to them, and when the, he appeared to them, he rebuked them for their unbelief. He said, Miss, listen, why, why did you not believe? It says, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him and had told them. But everything changed when Jesus went, appeared in that room. Fear left disillusionment left, confusion left, hopelessness left, because, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't finished. He was just getting started. And they were overwhelmed by his presence. Now, it was these same 11 men who elected Matthias, and they at Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was these same 11 men, full of the, 12 men full of the Spirit of God, that went out, and the Bible described them as this. Those men that turned the world upside down have come here also. And you know, every one of them died a martyr's death. Not one of them died a natural death. Peter was crucified upside down. One had his head cut off. They all died horrible deaths. Even the beloved disciple John, they tried to boil him but he wouldn't die, so they exiled him to Patmos 
And God had a purpose because that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Let me tell you something. You won't die for something you don't believe. You're not going to go to the cross for a myth. You're not going to die a martyr's death for a myth. Listen, they believed it unto death. I remember how Paul, the last one, was killed in Rome. But you know, as I've been thinking about it, a verse came to me that to me is, is, the, is the thrust of the fact that Jesus is alive. We were praying Friday night, and I have read this verse a hundred times. And I'm telling you, I saw it like I've never seen it before. In Romans 1, chapter 4, I want you to listen to what it says. It says, declared to be the Son of God with power. Now, I want you to underscore the Son of God with power. Declared to be the Son of God with power by, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It's like all heaven shouted, Jesus is the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness. And we want you to know that because the Father raised him from the dead. And man, I got to thinking, a dead Christ would have no power. But the living Christ would have all power. You know, in Philippians, Paul recognized that Jesus had all power in heaven and on earth. Let me tell you something. The Christ we believe in, the Christ we're celebrating his resurrection today, he's not powerless. I want to tell you, Muhammad is powerless, Buddha is powerless, and I tell you, every other religious leader lived and died, but I want to tell you, the Son of God is alive, and he has power. Declared to be the Son of God with power, by his resurrection from the dead. And you know, that power that Jesus has is for us. See, all that he did, he did for us. Paul in Philippians said, he humbled himself. Now I want you to listen to this. In Philippians 2, it says, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. It's on the cross, on the screen he humbled himself became obedient to death even the death of the cross but read on and being found and says therefore God now listen God has highly exalted him he exalted Jesus has given him the name oh boy above every name the name above every name that at the name of Jesus the name of Jesus Every knee should bow. You bow to the person in power. You bow to the person in power. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And heaven and on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm telling you, Jesus is the Son of God with power. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18? He said, all authority, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. 
He's saying, man, I have all power in heaven and on earth. Now, let me just say this to you. Jesus is going to have the final word. We live in a world where the prince of darkness, Satan, rules the world system. Not the created world, but the world system. And the prince of darkness is having his day, ruling the world system. But I want to tell you, he knows his assignment. He has already been assigned to hell. He knows that's where he's going. He and all the myriad of demons that follow him. And I guarantee you that Jesus not only has power now, but he will have power for eternity. And he'll have the final word in history. I'm not afraid of the future because I know Jesus holds the future. He's the son of God with power. By his resurrection from the dead. There are five things I want to show you. About his power. And every one of them are very significant for you. Here's the first one. The risen, the living son of God. Has power to forgive your sins. Now I want you to think about that. The living son of God. Has the power. To forgive your sin. When the father raised Jesus from the dead. Death could not hold him. See the wages of sin is death. Jesus had never sinned. He had never sinned. Death had no claim on him. No claim on him whatsoever. He he offered this as the sinless son of God. He offered the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And death could not hold him. And the father raised him from the dead, declaring him to be the son of God with power to forgive your sin. We all have one thing in common. We're all sinners. Oh, yeah. We're sinners by nature. We are born into sin. We are born with a sinful nature. You say, Brother Fred, that kind of insults me. Well, why should it? You know you have a sinful nature. I mean, my goodness. Listen, I mean, I was was born a sinner. My mother never called me in and said, come on in, son. It's time for sin practice. She never had to teach me to sin. She was always trying to get me out of trouble. I I thought everything was named no. No. And I guarantee you it's not long till you find out you're selfish and self-centered. You may have 10 toys, but you want his toy. You know how it goes. And listen, we were born into sin, but Jesus came and offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And God said, I accept that sacrifice. I accept the sacrifice of my son for the sins of the world. And God raised him from the dead and declared that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins. The guilt, the guilt you live with, the shame that controls you. It doesn't have to be there. Jesus has the power to take away your sin and your guilt and your shame. You know... You say, well, Brother Fred, how do you get in on that? I mean, how how do I have forgiveness? How do I experience forgiveness? How can I know that my sins are forgiven, forever buried in the depths of God's forgetfulness? There's just one way. And the Bible makes it clear. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. 
repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you have to repent of your sins. Now, you've got to understand that there are two aspects of repentance. Whoever confesses his sin will not prosper. Whoever covers his sin, stay with me now, whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will have mercy. Repentance is this. I not only confess my sin against God, and your sin is against God, and that's why it's so wicked. Our sin is against God. We not only confess our sin to God, but we make a deliberate choice by the Holy Spirit to walk away from that sin. We not only confess it, but we forsake it. You have not repented until you not only agree with God, it is a sin, until you turn by the power of God and walk away from it. You can confess that sin a million times, but if you keep living in it, you've never repented. It's only when you repent. I agree, God, that it's a sin, and I'm not living there anymore by the power of Jesus. I'm going to go in another direction. The way you get forgiveness of your sin is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, your, your sacrifice was sufficient. You shed your blood. You took my punishment. You took my wrath. You died in my place. All I need to be forgiven is in you. And I receive. Hey, you know the good news? A dead Christ couldn't forgive anybody. But the living Christ, the living Son of God, has the power to forgive your sin. You don't have to live captured by sin and controlled by sin. You can live forgiven and with power. But you know, there's another thing. Jesus not only has the power, the living, the living Son of God not only has the power to forgive our sin, but he has the power to save you, to change you, and to transform you. That's the amazing thing. Jesus just doesn't forgive us our sin when we repent and turn to him. Then he, he saves us from our sin. He saves us from it. And he changes us. He has the power to change our lives. Let me just say this. You can't change yourself. I guarantee you there are a lot of people here who you've looked at your life and said, you know, I'm not living right. You just know that conscience or whatever. I'm not living right. I need to change. I don't need to keep going this way. So you try. You say, well, I'm going I'm to quit doing that. And you do for a little while, but you go right back. Well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. But you've turned it over so many times you've wore it out. You just keep going back. Let me tell you something. You do not have the power to save yourself. You do not have the power to change yourself. You do not have the power to transform yourself. If you could save yourself, change yourself, and transform yourself, then Jesus was foolish to die on the cross. He knew that we couldn't do it. In fact, listen to what Romans 5, 6 says. It tells you right here. It says, for when we were yet without strength, 
Think about it. We had no strength. Christ died for the ungodly. I've seen person after person say, well, I, I'm going to change. I said, well, you, you can't change yourself. You've got to turn your life over to Jesus. Oh, I, I can do And they, they try and they fail and they try and they say, well, it just won't work for me. No, because you're going to the wrong place. You're looking to yourself. And the only one that can change you and transform you and make you a new creation, creation is Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Hallelujah. He makes you a new creation. Guess what happens? Old things, what you used to be, are passed away. And all things become new. For 50 years, over 50 years, I have watched, watched the Lord Jesus forgive people of their sin. I've watched them walk away from the guilt and shame. And oh, the joy of a life that is forgiven. But I'm going to say this. For 50 years, I've watched Jesus change lives. I've watched Jesus make people new creations. I've watched him bring them from darkness to light. I'm telling you, I know the power of Jesus. The power to forgive. But oh, praise God, not just to forgive, but the power to change. The power to transform. The power to make us a new creation. And old things are passed away. And we have become new. We have a new purpose. We're moving in a new direction. We've got a new master. We've got a new destination. Oh, Jesus has the power. The living son of God has the power to forgive and the power to save and to transform life. Declared to be the son of God with power. But you know, the living son of God has power over the devil and all of his demons. You know, you go back to Genesis, and in Genesis, after the serpent had Satan disguised as a snake, had caused Adam and Eve to sin, there was a prophecy made. And it said that the serpent was going to bruise Jesus' heel, but Jesus was going to crush his head. And you know, as Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, died on the cross, took my punishment and your punishment, your sin and my sin, your wrath and my wrath, when he died on the cross, Satan bruised his heel, but Jesus crushed his head. And I want you to know, when Jesus cried, it is finished, he was declaring that Satan was defeated and he is under the foot of the Son of God. I'm going to tell you all something. We don't have to let the devil kick us around like a football. No. He's defeated. He's under the feet of Jesus. He overcame every principality and power and every, all the darkness of this world. Look, listen to Ephesians chapter 1 where it says how that Jesus absolutely defeated the devil. In Ephesians 1, 19 through uh, 22, it says, now, now get this personal. Listen to what this says. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? Now, come on. Now, you've got to realize he's talking to you. He said, I want you to know the exceeding greatness of the power of the living son of God to us who believe. 
according to the working of his mighty power. And then he goes on in the next verse and says, which he worked in Christ, this mighty power, when he raised him from the dead. Oh, the power came when the Father raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And that's where he is today, in a place of power and authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Now read on in the next verse. Far above all principality. All principalities, demonic spirits are under his feet. Every power, every might, every dominion, every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ won the victory over the devil and every demon. And his victory is our victory. And I'm telling you, Satan and his demons are under the feet of Jesus. And as a child of God, we have the authority of Jesus over the wicked one. Under the feet of Jesus. Many years ago, went to the Holy Land. And then we went through Egypt. And in Cairo, we went to the museum. Now, you talk about an old a museum that's got old things in it. <laughs> you, you don't get much older than Egypt, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was, it, it was things at 2,000 years old. I mean, just look. You, I remember we walked in, and the first thing they showed us was this mummy. 2,000 years old. I mean, it was a real live mummy. I'm not talking about a fake mummy. It was a real live mummy. No, it wasn't alive, but I'm, I mean, it wasn't a Hollywood mummy. It wasn't a Hollywood mummy. You understand? It wasn't a Hollywood mummy. It was a real mummy. And I looked at him and said, you can tell that baby's 2,000 years old. He looked bad. <laughs> Whew, he looked bad. Well, we, we walked on through the corridors of the museum. And it was amazing. The kings, the pharaohs. But I never will forget. I can see it right now. I was standing here and there was a statue of a pharaoh. With that, looked like that long hair, whatever it was on his head. And, and all the big and huge. And, and I just looked from his head down, all the way down to his feet. And I looked at his feet. And there are all these bodies, figures of people. And I looked at the guy and I said, what is this? He said, you know, when a Pharaoh won the battle, they would make his statue and then they would put all of his enemies at his feet, signifying that he had the enemy under his feet. Well, praise God. That's exactly what Paul said in Ephesians. God exalted Jesus, and he's put every one of his enemies under his feet. And his power is our power. Listen to what it says in James, in Revelation 12, 9. Listen to this. In Revelation 12, 9, it says, The great dragon was cast out, that serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole earth. He was cast to the earth and the angels were cast out with him. And he goes on and says in the next verse, then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, salvation, strength, and, and the kingdom of God and power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren, the devil has been cast down before our God day and night and he's been cast down. And listen to what it says. 
And they overcame him. Would you understand? You're they. You're they. They overcame him, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their life unto death. The, the living Son of God has power over the devil and all of his demons. James 4, 5, and 6 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And, and, and the Bible is so clear. And in and, and Luke 10, 17, the disciples came back and said to Jesus, Lord, all the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Let me tell you something. It's not God's will for you and I to be defeated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil rules this world, and he controls the flesh, but he is a defeated foe, and we need to enforce the victory of Jesus over Satan because he has no right to defeat us and to, 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 to knock us around. We have every right to rebuke him in the name of the Son of the living God. Jesus, the Son of God with power, has the power to forgive our sins. He has power to save and transform our lives. And he has power to give us victory over the devil and every demon of hell who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came that we might have life, have it more abundantly. Just two more things. The power to forgive sin, the risen Son of God. The power to save and transform our lives, the living Son of God with power. The power over the devil and every demon of hell. The risen son of God with power. But you know, Jesus, the living son of God with power, comes to live in you and me and gives us the power to live the Christian life. Boy, you talk about uh, where people get messed up. They say, well, I know I couldn't save myself. I know that I had to repent of my sins. Receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, trusting him alone as my salvation. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to do the best I can to live the Christian life. You can't do it. You could no more live the Christian life than you could save yourself. You see, the Christian life is only possible when Christ comes to live in us by his Spirit and he gives us the power to live the Christian life. Listen, a dead Christ couldn't help me overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. A, devil. a dead Christ couldn't help me overcome temptation. But it's the living Christ comes to live inside of us. And he gives us the power to live the Christian life. Somebody asked me, Brother Fred, is the Christian life difficult? I said, no, it's impossible. You can't live it. Oh, I, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my enemy. You have trouble loving your neighbor. Don't hand me that. If somebody asked me to go one mile, I'm going to go two. You don't want to go one. Well, I'll tell you one thing. God told me to forgive 70 times seven. I'm going to forgive 75. You have trouble forgiving one time. You can't do it in your own power. You know that. I can't live the Christian life in my own power. My, I'm helpless without Christ. It is Jesus, the living Son of God, in us that gives us the power to live the Christian life. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, 
It shows how Jesus gives us the power to live the Christian a holy life. In Galatians 5, it talks about the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And, and it's not pretty. But you see that if we have Jesus in control of our lives, we won't walk in the flesh. We'll walk in the spirit. Now look at the works of the flesh. First of all, it's sexual sin. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Hey, would you say that uh, the God of America with a little g is the God of sex, sexual sin? From pornography to every movie who has a, an immoral plot to the way that sex is used to sell everything from toothpaste to hairdo, everything. You know, there is a God, a little g, and it's the God of sexual sin in this nation. Billions and billions and billions of dollars from pornography to prostitution to sex trafficking to all the way. But then it goes on and says the works of the flesh are not only sexual sins, they're social, they're, they're spiritual sins. Idolatry. You say, well, I'll tell you one thing, Brother Fred, I'm not guilty of idolatry. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything, if you had to choose between Jesus and that, you would choose that instead of Jesus? Oh, you just had an idol. Anything you love more, anything you put ahead of Jesus, you shall have no other gods before me. The Bible warns the believers in 1 John, keep yourselves from idols. Hey, you know, anything can become an idol in our life when it's more important to us than our relationship with Jesus Christ. Idolatry, sorcery. You know what sorcery is? I used to think, well, sorcerers, somebody with a pointed hat on their head. Do you know what I mean? No, you know what sorcery is? It's drug abuse. Well, that's what it is. The word sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get the word pharmacy. And sorcery is the use of potions or drugs to alter your mind. It's the sin of sorcery. Do I have to tell you that you take the drug traffic out of our country and most of our prisons would only be half full instead of completely running over. The sin of sorcery. It's a work of the flesh, y'all. It's a work of the flesh. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. They're all spiritual sins. And then look at the last part of the work of the flesh. Envy, murders, drunkenness, and partying, drunkenness and partying. I think I've heard of that before. I think sometimes it happens in Mobile. You know how to spell it? I spell it for you. M-A-R-D-I-G-R-A, Mardi Gras. It's all about drunkenness and partying. You said, that offends me. Well, don't argue with me. He just said that work of the flesh is drunkenness and partying. But you know, see... Jesus came, and he comes to live in us. And let me tell you what Galatians 5.16 says. Now listen to this. Walk in the Spirit. Let Jesus be in control of your life, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Listen to me. It didn't say you wouldn't have them. 
And as long as you live in this body, you will have the desires of the flesh. Now, if you feed your flesh, the desire gets stronger. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But I'm telling you, until we get home, the Bible says walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. See, if we walk in the spirit, if Jesus is in control of our lives, if we look to him for our strength, then we can walk in the spirit and we won't give in to the desires of the flesh. We will overcome them by the power of Jesus. Now, let me show you what the opposite of the works of the flesh are. Look at Galatians 5.22. Now, this is what Jesus does in you. When you're walking in the Spirit, when Jesus is in your life and in control of your life, you're not in the works of the flesh. You have the fruit of the Spirit, praise God, and look at it. Man, you're talking about wonderful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jesus produces in us when he is in control. Let me ask you, are you living in joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and faith? That's what Jesus does. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of struggling, not the fruit of striving. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's Jesus that produces that in us. And we can live in Christ in us can give us the power to live the Christian life. Here's the last thing. You say, well, thank God. We're doing real good. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. You're going to love this. The living, the, declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Jesus as the son of God with power to forgive sin, to save and transform our lives, to overcome and walk in victory over the devil, and to live a, 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 the, with the fruit of the Spirit, a righteous, godly life by the presence of Jesus in us. But the last thing, and you know, this, this is, I can't tell you how important it is, but it is. The living Christ, the, li the risen Son of God, has power over death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But do you know, when Jesus cried, it is finished, he had taken the sting out of death, and death was swallowed up in victory when he rose from the dead. And I want you to know today that Jesus Christ has the power over death, over hell, and over the grave. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 54, we have a corruptible body. It's going to go back, it gets, it gets sick, you know, gets diseased, it gets sick, and it will die. The corruptible body is going to go back to the dust. So when this corruption has put on a new body in corruption, and this mortal body, it's mortal. The older you get, the more mortal you feel. And when this mortal body has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. I love that. I mean, it's like Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, just swallowed up death in victory. 
And then it goes on to say in the next verse, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, place of the dead or hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but Jesus died for our sin. And the strength of the sin is the law. But listen to this. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, seems like Brother Ed and I, we have a team. We're the funeral team. You understand? We do about a funeral a week. But I want to tell you something. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate life, to celebrate life. When somebody was, is saved and you know they were saved, and you go in there and you say, let me tell you one thing. They've never been more alive than they are right now. Death has been swallowed up in victory. All the grave is is an open door into eternity. And I want to tell you, we have hope. We have hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, a Christian, we're not, I'm not, we're not afraid to die. By the way, in case you know it, everybody in here is going to die. That's a good thought, isn't it? Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. But all, we, all we're concerned about is how we die. Because we know that the instant this mortal body ceases, our spirit leaps out into eternity to be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And oh, I want to tell you, Jesus has the power over death. He has power over the grave. And by the way, he has power over hell. On the screen, you'll see Revelation, verse 17. Jesus said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John was talking about Jesus. He laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And then look what he says. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. You know, when Jesus said it is finished, he snatched the keys of hell and death out of the hands of the devil. And death has lost its sting. And praise God, Jesus has the keys of death and hell. I want to leave this thought with you. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power. Power, 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 power by his resurrection from the dead.